Welcome, everyone, to Lessons with Mike. I'm here today with special guest, Mr. Charlie, who I just recently located behind a dumpster at the McDonald's parking lot. Hey, it's only 200 a month for rent. One bedroom, zero bath, but I'll, I'll take it. And you have roommates, too, with all the, the rodents that live there. Yes, rodents, small mammals, small reptiles, lots of invertebrates. Uh, you know, they chip in from time to time. They're pretty nice. You know, and you save money on food costs when you think about it. So, and you never get lonely. So, all kinds of positives. Absolutely. You cannot beat free. Mm -hmm. So, the reason I stole Charlie from his uh, very cheap residency today was to talk about flags. Yes. Um, being a flag designer does not pay well, but boy, howdy, it sure is fun. So, what kind of flags do you design? Um, I, I don't design all that many on my own because I just haven't found too many concepts that I want to reduce to a three by five rectangle. However, I belong to the North American Vexillological Association, better known as NAVA. And one of the services that this uh, organization offers is something called the flag design gauntlet. Now, people come to us from all over the world. You don't have to be North American. And they ask us to critique their flag design for different things, be it a county or a city or a family flag they're trying to use. Um, they'll come to me and all the other old white men in, in the NAVA organization, and they'll ask for advice on designing their flags. So NAVA does a lot with regards to uh, historical preservation of flags and flag education. But the main thing that I'm involved with is uh, the flag design concept. Okay, this is very interesting. So how, how does this even come about? Because um, I'm, from, I'm familiar with several flags, uh, but you seem like much more of a flag expert. So how does this come? Is there like a committee that meets and like, okay, this is the flag we'll use? Or is there a vote? How does the... Uh, how does a corporation or a country or a town decide on their flag? It's a little bit of a different process for each of those situations that you described. Um, so if it's something like a, a municipality, um, they'll usually hold a referendum with the local city council, town council, whatever, <clears throat> to say, yes, we're actually going to put effort into designing a town flag. And then you know, since it's a community effort, a lot of people will submit designs. And um, usually the person kind of taking on this project or the committee members taking on the project will hone that pool down into an acceptable number, maybe 10 or 20 different designs. And then people will come to us to say, hey, here's our town's history and here's where we're at now. Here's some of the best flags we think that represent our population. What do you have to say about it? And then we'll sit there with them for an hour and an hour and a half and give them tips and tricks about following like the five quote unquote basic rules of flag design. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll, we'll help them hone down some more amateurish aspects of flags. And then usually once we, they refine those 10 or 20, um, those can go to like a local vote. You, that, that's how it's usually adopted in a municipality. But when it comes to things like a corporation or a family flag, um, it's usually just one individual mm -hmm. involved. And everybody else at the business or in the family is just like, yeah, that's great. Um, I guess we have a flag now. So that's very interesting. You said uh, there's uh, some 
core aspects of flag design. I would imagine the rectangular uh, shape. A lot of flags have very minimalistic designs. Uh, my personal favorite flag is the flag for Nepal because it's different and is not a rectangle. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think more flags should be triangles or two triangles on top of each other or even an octagon because why not? There needs to be more diversity in the flag uh, populace, I guess. I completely understand what you're saying. However, the only problem with that is it comes from a physics standpoint. When you're flying a flag and it's an octagon, where are you going to put the grommets to actually uh, link that to the flagpole? Um, then you're left with like a weird shape somewhere and the the way it flaps in the wind is going to wear the flag unevenly that's why triangles and rectangles are generally accepted uh but believe it or not that's actually not one of the basic rules of flag design okay what are they uh i'd be happy to share that with you the secretary of nava uh mr ted k a good pal of mine uh wrote a little pamphlet called good flag bad flag how to de how to design a great flag and in it, it's a very short pamphlet, literally 15 pages. Most of it's just taken up by examples of flags. But the five basic principles of flag design are keep it simple. A flag should be so simple that a child can draw it from memory. Two is use meaningful symbolism. The flag's images, colors, or patterns should relate to what it symbolizes. Number three, which I have a little bit of a problem with, but that's okay. Everybody has their own problems with these rules because it's a general guideline. Number three is to use two to three basic colors. Limit the number of colors on the flag to three, which contrast well and come from the standard color set, that being red, white, blue, yellow, green, and black. Those are the, those are the six most common colors on flags. Number four, uh, from a purely logistical standpoint, which I agree with totally, is no lettering or seals. Never use writing of any kind on an or, or an organization's seal. Um, I'm sure we can talk about this a little bit later, um, but a lot of city flags or county flags are simply an SOB, as we call it in the vexillology world, a seal on a bed sheet. Um, and that's generally frowned upon. Uh, we want to be a little bit more uh, Creative. With it. Yeah, yeah creative. absolutely. That just seems kind of lazy. And then number five is something that happens. Uh, you can see it in regional patterns is be distinct or be related. Avoid duplicating other flags, but use similarities to show connections. Those you are the five that, basic rules. That fifth one, we need to tell, we need to go to Europe, knock on the doors of every single European country and show them that rule because uh, they're too similar and I hate it. Yes, that, that's that's one of the cool things about Europe is as though although they are kind of similar, uh, you can still kind of tell which is which. Like all the uh, all the Scandinavian flags are that sideways cross. It's kind mm -hmm. of cool to see that they all share that uh, that heritage, but they still want to be distinct from one another. And then if you look at a lot of the flags in Africa, um, yeah, there's all, a lot more green in uh, African flags. Yeah, all but two of them use. Uh, red, blue, uh, I'm sorry, red, yellow, and green, and black. Um, the only one in all 54 countries in Africa uh, that doesn't use black is Somalia, which is just a white star in the middle of a blue field. And then I think it's Botswana that has a blue field and then a white stripe, a black stripe, a white stripe, and then it continues into the blue field. So it's, it's pretty neat to see the different patterns that emerge uh, in different flags. 
uh, especially with like different regions, you can tell like e vastly different regions have like North Africa, the Pacific Islands, and then Central Asia. A lot of them have um, the Muslim crescent, the Islamic crescent, and stars in there to in some way, shape, or form um, that represent that that cohesion between all of them despite be despite having radically different histories and being in completely different sides of the world mm -hmm. yeah i i know exactly what you're talking about because uh, america the concept of the stripes and stars that was adopted by countries that developed their own independent countries after the fact to taking inspiration from that flag so it's very interesting you see how countries take inspiration from other previous flags but also but also putting their own unique sort of spin on it Absolutely. The, uh, the Malaysian flag and Liberian flag have very strong American ties, which I think is pretty neat because not entirely dissimilar to the Islamic aspect I just mentioned. They're in radically different parts of the world, but there's still that uh, common ethos among them. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite flag or a, a group of favorite flags? Um not to be, not to be too cheesy, and I'm sorry to all the podcast listeners uh, that this is a highly visual thing. So feel free to follow along at home. Use Google to your advantage here. So one of my favorites is the flag of Estonia, and it may seem kind of cheesy because it's so popular, but I think it really captures it well. It's a horizontal tri bar with blue on the top, black in the middle, and white on the ground, um, which makes sense if you ever see a picture of. An Estonian landscape, it's obviously a blue sky, then heavily uh, dense forest um, of which can, you know, pretty much just get reduced to a, a bunch of black trees, just a huge bar of black on the horizon mm -hmm. and then snow on the ground. So this really just speaks to everything about the landscape of Estonia. Um, but then outside of Estonia... Um, Again, not to be too cheesy, but I think Dominica is an exceptional flag because it's mm -hmm. only one of two in two national flags that has uh, purple in the design. I'm going to pull that one up right now. That's interesting. But I'm going to tell you about uh, one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I, like the, I like the flag of Japan because uh, it's the land of the rising sun. and The flag symbolizes a sun rising, a red sun in the middle, rising up over... Uh, the background and i think that's really interesting exactly that's a that's an excellent example of good flag design you just capture the ethos of the country uh, right there you know exactly what you're looking at no matter where you're from in the world and, and a lot of countries a lot of countries i think uh, could uh, could take some uh, take some uh, what's the word uh, could learn from that and because we, I, the American flag needs to be updated. I don't, it's, it could be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, I personally like the American flag because it's so radically distinct yeah. um, and recognizable. It uh, doesn't really break the rules of flag design, but it does kind of push it to its limits because it's so busy. Mm -hmm. so yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but um, it's super easy to explain. It follows all the rules like any mm -hmm any elementary school kid can uh, draw it from memory so long as they can count to 50 and they can count to 13. Mm -hmm. um, it's got the meaningful symbolism of the 50 states and the 13 original colonies 
Um, it only uses three colors, which is good. There's no red, uh, lettering or seals, and it's distinct from everything else. So it's although it's weird, um, it's widely regarded as a good flag because it does follow those designs. Now, um, I like all those things you mentioned, but let me get into uh, the issue I have with it. So absolutely. you're probably familiar with the history of it. Originally, there were 13 stars for the 13 states, and as states kept getting added, they would add a star and add a stripe. Eventually, I think around 15 or 16 states, the government realized we can't keep adding stripes. Otherwise, the stripes will be so thin and this will look disgusting. So they stopped adding stripes and went back to just adding stars. And now we're at an even a good number, 50 stars. What happens when Puerto Rico becomes a state and we have to awkwardly fit 51 stars into this square? It's just it's just not going to be the same. No, it's not. Um so my guess is they'd probably just organize it into different alternating uh, stripes of uh, eight and seven. No, it's six and five right now. My bad of uh, six and seven, but they'd probably put one of the uh, six star stripes right next to each other and kind of split the difference. Um, fun fact for any Eagle Scouts in the audience, the most recent iteration of the, um, of the American flag was designed by an Eagle Scout in his uh, for a high school history project, and his teacher didn't like it. His teacher thought it was too close to the current design, uh, and only gave him a B on the project because although it was good, although it was geometrically satisfying, uh, his teacher thought it lacked originality. So he decided to submit it to the federal government for approval and it was ad ultimately adopted. And that's the flag we've been flying for the last 60 years. Um, and then, so after that went through his high school history teacher actually went back and changed his grade to an A because it's, it's good enough for the feds. It's good enough for him. Well, that was nice. And I'm curious, to, I'm actually going to look this up after we finish. I'm curious to see what some of the other designs were, because if the problem was that he wasn't original enough, I'm very curious to see what some of these other crazy outlandish designs could have been. Absolutely. There's uh, so again, my apologies to the listeners at home. Uh, use your use Google at your disposal here and take a look at some of the other designs. There have been plenty of decent proposals, but uh, none have quite captured the attention of our uh, elected officials to uh, push them in one direction or another quite yet. So mm -hmm. It's possible that in our lifetime we see a redesign, but I'm not really counting on it. We shall definitely see if we get any new states. That would probably be, be the biggest determining factor. And when it comes to new states, uh, I'm, I go back and forth on if I think it will happen or not. Whether or not it should happen is another topic, but getting these things to happen is very difficult because you have to get all these people who disagree with each other to the point that they don't even, that they completely hate each other. We have to get all these people to agree with each other. And it's, it's very difficult to happen. Will it happen? I, I, I say maybe 50, 50 that it happens eventually at some point. Oh yeah. But Absolutely. while we're on uh, while we're on the topic of American flags, I want to let the, uh, the listeners know this. A lot of people don't know this, but you can actually send an email or send a letter to your senator if you live in the United States, to your senator or your representative, and you can go to constituent services on their website and you can send them a request to mail you a flag that was flown over the Capitol. And this is very interesting. They'll mail you a flag and there's a price, there's a, like a fee you have to pay to get, to get the flag, but you can 
it's a reasonable fee, I think. And it, of course, it takes a while because, you know, there's a lot going on, but they will get you the flag and they'll come in a little plaque and it will tell you what day it was flown over the Capitol. And if you have the capacity to do that, I think you should. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Absolutely. Uh, it's a little bit hard because uh, I think they fly a different flag over the Capitol building every day, mm-hmm. like a, a new fresh flag. Um, but that's still only a, a cap of 365 or 366 a year. So uh, I don't know how popular this sort of thing is. Um, I know sometimes Eagle Scouts get it, and I know some military veterans get it. Um, but I think it would be cool to have that in our possession as normies, I guess. Yeah. Well, we won't be normies for too long. We're going to be successful podcasters. Oh, absolutely. Successful yeah, podcasters and all that good thing, that sort of thing. I've actually, now that I've got you on here, I'd like to offer you a position as my chief science officer for the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is my, wonderful. My qualifications uh, are that I, Mike and I went to college together, but I was in the biology program and I also got minors in theology and physics. So I, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Um, I'm kind of an expert on a couple of very niche topics. Um, so I'd be happy to lend you some stories and some information in the future and educate your listeners uh, on all sorts of cool stuff. I'm definitely excited. And, and you know a lot about flags. This is very interesting because when I asked you for topics and you said flags, I thought that was just something random you came up with. I had no idea that you were so heavily involved in everything. Yeah, um, it's kind of cool that I'm so on Reddit, if you go on r slash r slash vexillology, um, that's basically the Internet's hub for flag design. There's a bunch of nerds out there. When I was still on Reddit, the membership for that particular sub was only about 70 something thousand. Um, <clears throat> I can imagine it's grown. Um, and a lot of people took advantage of the collective influence of people over the internet uh, for flag design and, and that sort of thing. So not everybody has to, you know, it doesn't take much to be an expert in this field, but somebody on Reddit mentioned what novel was. And when I realized that's about as close to an academic group as you can get to flag design, I decided I joined immediately. Oh, yeah. um, so if anybody listening is also interested in flags annual student membership is only 20 bucks and then a non-student regular adult membership is i think 40 and with that you get the publications that nava sends out which is a copy of the good flag bad flag pamphlet and the uh the quarterly magazine called vexillum which i appeared in the last issue of and then they have a yearly review journal about flag history um called the raven um, so there's plenty of stuff to learn. And then there's also interest meetings a couple times a month. Not only is there that flag gauntlet I mentioned, mm-hmm. but there's also people who take a particular interest in Revolutionary War era flags mm-hmm. or uh, human rights movement flags or um, that sort of thing. Special niche topics where people will go on Zoom and give presentations, again, about as close to academic as you can get in this sort of field. Um this is so interesting. Uh, where is this uh, headquarters? Where's the headquarters located at? Do you know? 
Um, I believe Mr. K, the secretary, is from Portland. Okay. Or he's in California. He's somewhere on the West Coast, and he's kind of one of the big proponents for this sort of thing. Um, you'll frequently see in different publications, uh, in local news stories, like the town of Smithtown uh, talked with Mr. Ted K from uh, Nava to get the flag approved or something like that. He's very involved in this sort of thing. Um, but it's a North American organization, so it doesn't have a particular headquarters. Mm, okay, it's just all over the, uh, the continent. Yeah, there's different individuals all over the continent. And after, a, I think it's 50 or 60 years old, and the organization is ticked up over 900 members. For a while, it was still kind of low level, but with COVID and people actually exploring their interests, uh, the number has jumped up significantly. So I wouldn't be surprised if we reached 1,000 by the end of the year. Fun. This is uh, my fun flag fact, FFF, if you would. So the Confederate flag is not actually the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag that you typically see in the South or in stores, that is just a Confederate battle flag that was used by a few militias, but never actually used by the official Confederate government. There were three flags utilized by the Confederate government throughout the Civil War. The first one was pretty much the exact same as the original American flag with the stripes and the stars in the corner. That one lasted, I think, a few years, but the people kept complaining that it was too confusing to tell what side the troops were on because the flag looked so similar. So the next one that they came up with was a white flag, and in the corner, there was the battle flag that you typically see. But then the complaint was everyone thought that we were surrendering because 70, 80% of the flag is just white. And then finally, in the last three months, I think, of the Civil War, they produced the third version of the flag, which added a red bar to the right side of the flag. So it had the battle flag in the corner and a middle section of white. And then on the right, there was a red section. But of course, it didn't last very long because th that government ceased to exist soon after. Yes, the it's it's a kind of a crying shame that these people that still think the South is going to rise again um, and we got to know our history and that sort of thing. They can't even get the flag right. They can't even get the flag right. Like here you are and you can't even figure that out. So for a uh, fun fact, the anatomy of a flag does have uh, proper names. If you, if the people listening at home, the audience wishes to uh, play along um if you go to Wikipedia and, uh, for the flags of the Confederate States of America and scroll down, you'll see what Mike was talking about with the, uh, the stainless banner, as they called it, from 1863 to 1865 um, with the white sheets where it looks like we were surrendering. And then a little lower, again, he just mentioned the bloodstained banner. So I think it's a little bit easier to talk about the anatomy of the flags here. That top left corner is where it's um a f almost like a flag within a flag mm -hmm. that is called the canton 
and that's where a lot you see um, the 50 stars of the U.S. And that's also where you see a lot of um, Union Jacks still flying over British territories. Mm-hmm. Um, and the left side of the flag is called the hoist. And the right side where you see the red bar is called the fly, since that flies out in the wind. Imagine that. So there's some fun flag anatomy for you guys. Um, I hope that helps uh, put things in uh, perspective that, uh, you know, we, we even have a little bit of our own vocabulary for this field. Yeah, I hope the audience, uh, because there will be a quiz audience for those of you listening. Uh, next episode I do with Charlie, we will be asking you uh, all of these questions. And if anyone is unable to get them all right, you will be banished from the podcast. Exactly. No more listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for least favorite flags, there's one that comes to mind. It doesn't exist anymore, fortunately. Um, so there's just like a period of six weeks when California was its own separate country. And the flag that they picked is the most horrendous thing I have ever seen. Have you seen it? It's, let me refresh my memory. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now, too, to make sure I get the details right. Okay, yeah, I found it. I'll send you, It's the flag of the California Republic. So I'm going to send you this just in case you have trouble finding it. I'll send it to you right now. Sure. And this was the official flag that this place used. So... Are you DMing it to me on Instagram? I am. I just sent it through. All right. Here we go now. Charlie's live reaction to this flag. Here we go. Live reaction. Yeah. Abysmal. <laughs> Abysmal. The worst The worst part is that they decided that. I know that's supposed to be a bear, but it looks like a capybara or a warthog or something. It doesn't look like a bear. Um. I'll admit that I have not seen this flag before and I'm severely disappointed in the creativity uh, involved. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about earlier, the relying too much on white it looks like surrender. It does. <laughs> and then the star and the words. And what is that font choice? The, word, the words are one thing, but then putting that period in there really just kind of throws the whole thing off. It's like a statement, you know, mm-hmm. like California Republic. Gosh darn it. <laughs> it's like a sign you see out of one of those uh, discount stores. Like when you go to the beach, like these middle of nowhere discount stores. And we're not going to spoil it for the listeners, but when you get a chance, look up the flag of the California Republic and just, just cringe with us at how bad it is. The old one, the old flag of the California Republic. Yes, it's- not the current one. I, th- I actually think the current flag they have for the state is pretty cool. Yes, they, they did a pretty decent job revamping that for sure. Um, a lot of this isn't the uh, this isn't an uncommon problem where state flags and um, especially the flags of big cities are awful. Um, I don't know if anybody has um, taken a look at there's a TED Talk YouTube video that uh, kind of inspired me to pursue flag design um, where this guy basically roasts um, different city flags. And you can tell that there are a lot worse designs out there, but then there are plenty of good ones. So if you're looking for a cool way to influence history and local history, um, check out your local flag design and see if you can come up with anything better. 
Um, there, there are some really god awful ones out there that could be improved with, <laughs> with like minimal effort. Well, I think that should be a goal for us. Uh, we should design a flag and get an actual city or a town or a corporation to use this flag, and it'll just be our faces uh, with two random words and a period at the end. I I would be okay with that. I don't know what um, I don't know what kind of governing body would adopt such a thing, but I'm also very into micronations. So mm-hmm. if you happen to if you're willing to form a micronation, we can we can fly the flag of our two faces over it for a day and seal its place in history. And, and then, of course, we will dissolve our republic immediately thereafter. Absolutely. The Republic of Spite. <laughs> well, this was, this was so interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Charlie or Dr. Charlie. Not, not Dr. Charlie yet. I'm still working on my master's in bioinformatics, but uh, I'm on my way to a doctorate. Maybe we shall yeah. see. Listen, Charlie, I've never had an actual doctor on this podcast. I've had two student doctors in training, but they're like racing each other, I guess, to see who can be the first actual doctor on my podcast. Or are you joining the race? Uh, I will join the race. Now, are you talking about PhDs or MDs? These are... Uh, they're they're in their third year of medical school so md okay um i might be a little bit late to the party but i will see what i can do i will happily join the race you should get your phd just cram it all in one year you can do it jesus uh i don't know about that but um i appreciate your uh confidence that i'll be able to do such a thing I have complete faith in you for the sheer fact that you will chaotically stumble into this PhD. You won't even plan it. You'll just be walking one day and you'll walk into a donut shop to get a donut or whatever. And surprise, surprise, with the purchase of a Krispy Kreme donut, you get a PhD in whatever it is you're studying. In bakery science (laughs) from the University of Cream. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, audience, for listening. I hope you learned some things about flags, and we will definitely be seeing Mr. Charlie again at some point with more fun topics for the world. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Quick shout out to the North American Vexillology Association, Vexillological Association. If you're looking to join, it's nava.org, N-A-V-A.org. Um, feel free to join up and and take a look at what they have to offer. And if you feel like following me on Twitter, which I'm new to, you can follow me and all my scientific adventures uh, at Chuck Does Bio. You know, let me tell you, I'm going to follow you on Twitter right after we're finished with this conversation. I'm going to do it. That feels good. All right. I don't have much to say on there right now. But one day, once I start like publishing my research, then, then I'm sure something will get out there that's going to be of general interest. Uh, this you could publish a whole thing already this is you have an interesting voice uh hypnotic melodic almost i could just listen to you read the research paper and i would think i would enjoy that i'm so glad you think so that's that's very reassuring mike (laughs) that goes both ways uh if you're you're a pretty good podcast host from what i'm able to see on this side of the screen well thank you thank you so much All right, everyone, listen, if you like the podcast, be sure to give it a five-star rating so that way more people can hear and experience the wonders that are this podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Share it with random people you see on the street. Don't give money to homeless people. Give them the gift of Lessons with Mike. All right, thank you all. Farewell. Bye.